So we have been working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we were in 1 Corinthians before, and then we came to 2 Corinthians. And uh, one of the things that we've said each week, if you haven't been part of the study, Corinth, uh, this, this town that this church was in, was a, was a Greek town. And so the, the idea is that it would be very different than what you'd experience in Jerusalem or in Israel, where everybody worshiped one God. This was a very, very polytheistic number of different gods, number of different temples. And so Paul the Apostle, on a missionary journey, comes to this town and uh, begins a church by just simply teaching the Word of God, teaching the Bible uh, pretty, pretty much the way that we do. He would focus in on the Old Testament, bringing the gospel out in what you and I would call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. He spends about a year and a half there, and at that time after the church is established, he hands the church off to another pastor, and then Paul continues on his missionary journey. Now, as he continues on his missionary journey, they have that pastor. Later on, there's another pastor. And several years go by, and in Paul's absence in this church, one of the things that we've discovered as we've been traveling through this book is that over time, a number of what we would call false teachers came into the church. And one of the things that they first started doing was attacking Paul's ministry, his apostleship, his leadership. And they were saying things like, you know, he calls himself a man of God. And how, but, you know, when you look at his life, everywhere he goes, there's a riot. Everywhere he goes, he's beaten, he's thrown in prison. He, you know, he's not blessed financially. You would think that if he was really God's man, that he would be prospering and he'd be blessed. And, and so we don't know that you can really trust him because, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have that going on in his life. And so Paul writes to, to counteract that teaching. But one of the other teachings that's been very, very prevalent that Paul's been dealing with is that this particular church had somehow, uh, because of the teachers within the church, they began to teach rather overtly or subtly, they began to teach that really what took place was that when Jesus came to the earth, he dies on the cross for your sins, but then he comes alongside of you to help you accomplish your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, and, uh, and the idea is it's all about you. And in and, and one sense we would say he was there to somehow help you live for you at a much greater level. And so Paul sees this going in going on in the church. And so he writes against that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we've referred to this verse several times in our teaching, Paul has to say this, and I put it on your outline. Paul says, he died for all that those who live should, and underline this, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And you notice that Paul in that little verse reminds them of the great cost that Jesus paid for our salvation and our response to him should be that we no longer live for ourselves, but now we, we live for him. So Paul has to tell this church that it's not about living for yourself, it's about living for him. Apparently they had missed that. So if a Christian, and we've taken the first seven chapters, Paul, to deal with this, if a Christian is living for themselves and not for Jesus, or not for, for God, is there a way that would be glaringly obvious? Is there a way that would be evident if that was the case? Is there a way that it would just be made noticeable to themselves, I guess anybody who would know? What would that look like for a Christian to, to live for themselves and not for God? And, and what would it look like to the point to where Paul would feel that he would have to take two chapters, and we're going to find chapters 8, and chapters 9 to deal with what happens when Christians begin to live for themselves and not for God. 
So he's going to take two chapters to talk about this. And so we're going to give you the punchline right up front, and then we're going to unpack it. So here's what we're going to find in chapters 8 and 9. Uh, Christians living for themselves is manifested by their not giving to the cause of Christ. Christians living for themselves is manifested by their not giving to the cause of Christ. Go ahead and write that down. You see, it all started about a year earlier, and uh, Paul had written what we call 1 Corinthians, and at the end of that book, Paul said this, and I put it on your outline. We looked at it a few months ago when we were there. But uh, Paul, uh, well, there, I'll just read it. Now, about the collection for God's people. Paul says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, so we're speaking about financially here, in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And you want to underline Jerusalem. Paul here is raising a special offering that would go back to the church in Jerusalem. Now the reason that he needed to do this is unlike some of the other parts of the world, uh, Jerusalem, they worshipped, they were very monotheistic, they're very Jewish. And so when somebody became a Christian in that environment, immediately the temple would excommunicate them. So when you were excommunicated, here's what it meant. It meant that your family, if they were going to stay in good stead with the temple, they had to excommunicate you also. So you could have no dealings with your family. The local community would not be allowed to sell to you and they would not be allowed to buy from you. So it would make you almost instantly destitute by, by becoming a believer. So Paul wants to take up an offering to send to alleviate some of the stress that's going on. Now, one other thing that's very important to know about this, I want you to write this down. This is a special offering that Paul is, is, is uh, receiving. So this offering was above their normal giving. It was above their normal giving. So this would not be what, what Paul would teach about in 1 Corinthians 9, about the support of the local ministry and all that God wants to do. This is above and beyond. So today as we get in this, as we talk about the offering, it's going to be more than just simple charity. There's going to be some very, very profound theological significance in what we talk about because God, we're going to see, uses this to make us like Christ. And we'll see that as, as we get into this. We're going to find in verse 1, we're going to find sadly the, the Corinthians were not participating in this. And uh, so verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, now brethren, we wish, we wish to make known to you the grace, and I want you to underline that word grace. As a matter of fact, if I miss it, every time you see the word grace or gracious, go ahead and underline it. We wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Paul is going to begin his discussion with the Corinthians by using the churches of Macedonia as an example for them. And uh, you notice it says there on your outline, or, or in, your, in your Bible, it says the grace of God given in the churches of Macedonia. God was doing something very special in this group of churches. His grace was being manifested And what we're going to find is that as God's grace was operating within these churches, it created within within them a heart to give to the the cause of God, to to God's purpose, to the things of God. They just wanted to do that. Now, verse 2, he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, underline that word joy, and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, uh, I'm going to read that on your outline. 
it says, out of the most severe trial, this is what they're going through, underline that, their overflowing joy, underline that, and their extreme poverty, underline that, welled up. We're going to come back to welled up in a few minutes. Welled up in rich generosity. So just to give a little bit of uh, perspective as to what's going on, if I could show you a map of Macedonia, uh, you'll, you'll notice that this is pretty much the map of Greece, and you see up at the top of the map, you see the word Macedonia. Everybody see that? And so you'll notice in the area that we commonly refer to as Macedonia, there would be the church of Philippi, the Philippians, Thessalonians, or Thessalonica, we call it the uh, letter to the Thessalonians, and then there's the Berean church. Now this was the area that Alexander the Great came from. When the Romans came in, they pretty much took everything and uh, they heavily taxed the people. That created there in the upper part of Greece and Macedonia, great poverty, great poverty. But as you come down the map, you'll see the town of Corinth and you see that there's two bodies of water that come together. Does everybody see that? Now there in Corinth, what would take place is as the ships would come down, say from Italy, and uh, they would come down, they wanted to go over to the Aegean Sea. What they would do is they go into that waterway, they come to the town of Corinth, and there was a four-mile area uh, that connected the two oceans. And so what they would do is they would take the ships out of the ocean, take them across four miles of land, and put them into the ocean on the other side. Let me just show you a picture of modern-day Corinth. Now they have a canal that goes across, and that's four miles. What that did, unlike up in Macedonia, is it created the opportunity where ships are constantly coming in. Uh, they constantly have to pay the fee to, to go across the four miles. And they did that to save them from sailing 250 miles around the, the bottom there. So they would do the, the, the sailors would come in and, and they would bring money, the ships would come in, they'd pay the fee. So there was this perpetual stream of income coming into the town of Corinth. So that created somewhat of an affluent area, which would be very, very different than the area of Macedonia, which was continually impoverished because of the things going on. Does that make sense so far? Okay. So um, I want to read verse 2 again. I'm going to read it from my Bible. You can read it on on your outline. He says, that in great ordeal of affliction and the abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of of their liberality. So go ahead and write this down. The Macedonians, they're going to be the example. It says the grace of God was revealed in their overflowing joy in being very generous in their participation financially in what God was doing even in a time of great difficulty. Even in a time of great difficulty. Their generosity can only be explained by God's grace. If you're giving to the things of God and you're personally going through a time of great difficulty, that's not something that you manufacture. That's something uh, revealing God's grace doing something in, in your heart. So if you read a commentary, the commentators will say something like this, the joyful giving to God's cause in the midst of great adversity was the evidence of their true faith. And so they, they wanted to do this. Well, verse 3 Paul says, for I testify that in accordance to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. 
Now, I like the way it's worded a little bit differently if you have the NIV translation. So I put it there in your outline. I'm going to read it from, from that translation. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then I want you to underline entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing, underline that, in this service to the saints. So, so here's what we get from, from that little verse there. Write this down. Their desire to give to God's cause was due to God's grace operating in them and not due to coercion, not due to coercion. Paul wasn't manipulating. They came to him and said, we want to participate. We hear that there's a need and they wanted to participate since they were even begging for the opportunity. So even in a time of financial difficulty, they saw giving to God's cause, God's purpose, as a privilege, something that they saw as a privilege. We're going to find that they were very different than the Corinthians. The Corinthians had embraced the belief system that it was all about Jesus coming to come alongside of us to help us accomplish our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, but it wasn't about us jumping on board, giving ourselves to him in any significant way. So Paul's laying this foundation right up front. So here's my question. What was it that caused God's grace to work in the Macedonians who were going through a time of personal difficulty in a way that caused them to want to participate and give to God's cause, whereas the Corinthians were going to find this never happened for them? What happened? Well, verse 5 is going to be very revealing as to what's taking place. Verse 5, it's going to say, and this, not as we had expected. We didn't expect them to do that, but they did. Now with your pen in hand, it says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Underline that. And to us by the will of God. The reason that they gave so generously, and and it's not surprisingly that the explanation is theological. Uh, Go ahead and write this down. God's grace manifested in a desire to give to God's cause because unlike the Corinthians, the Macedonians gave themselves to God first. Go ahead and write that down. They gave themselves to God first. They said, I'm, I'm giving myself to God. And so whatever God wants, that's what we want. Apparently, they had made a, a decision, a conscious decision, that we are giving ourselves to God. One verse that we looked at when we began just simply said that we are to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. That's the response. The Macedonians had made that decision. So he gives himself to us, and then we respond by giving ourselves to him. The Corinthians liked the fact that God gave himself for us, but they never got to the place where they responded by saying, we're now giving ourselves to God. And it manifested with them holding back and participating in the cause of God in this way. For Paul, the most important part was not that the Macedonians gave to the offering. For Paul, the most important part was that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord. Does that make sense? 
Now, now here's why. Here's why. When someone gives themselves to the Lord, you never have to worry about the offering. Because when somebody gives themselves to the Lord, that person says, Holy Spirit, come into my life. You lead me and I'll follow. So tell me if, if uh, you think the Holy Spirit would respond like this. Holy Spirit steps in our life and he says, all right, you've given yourself to me. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to send missionaries out. I, I want to build churches. I want to see people come to Jesus. I want those churches to have amazing children's ministry. I want them to have parking. I want them to have a building that has air conditioning. I, I, just, I, I want to be a blessing. I want to meet needs in the community. I want to meet needs in the church. Thank you for giving yourself to me. But here's what I want you to know. Whatever you do, don't you participate financially in my cause. Does anybody think that the Holy Spirit would lead us in that way? Now, why are you so quiet? (laughs) You're going to get through this. Just say, I can make it. (laughs) There you go. All right. Now, the Corinthians' lack of giving was the evidence that they accepted the fact that God gave himself to them. But they never got to the place where they gave themselves to God. For the Macedonians, the first priority was God. They gave themselves to God first. And, and then, then it says, then it says and, and they gave themselves to God first and then to Paul according to the will of God. And the idea there is you can't really accept the gospel and not accept the person who brought you the gospel in the first place. So that's the idea. So for the Macedonians, their giving to the cause of God was just simply a a reflection of what was going on. He calls it the grace of God given. It wasn't something that Paul was coercing. Verse 6, he says, so we urge Titus as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you, and in my Bible it says this gracious work as well. Some of your Bibles say the work of grace. However your Bible says it, you want it to uh, underline that word. And it's going to refer to the, the giving. So here's what Paul's saying there in your outline. Paul wants God to do in the hearts of the Corinthians what he's done in the hearts of the Macedonians. So Paul says, so I'm, I'm going to send Titus to you to, to spur you on, to help you do this. And apparently this is something that the Corinthians needed to hear, but the Macedonians, they didn't really need anybody to come and tell them. God was doing something in their heart. So verse 7, here's where the plot thickens. So Paul says, so, or but, just as you abound in everything, you know, in faith and utterance and knowledge and, and all earnestness and, and all the love that we inspired into you, now underline this, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Some of your Bibles would say this, this work of grace and giving, however your Bible says it, underline that. See that you abound in this gracious work also. So apparently, as Paul had heard about what was going on in the church of Corinth, he looked and he saw, he says, you know what, Here, here's what I know about you guys. You guys, if somebody says, 
do you, do you like good teaching? They'd be like, oh, we love good teaching. We can't wait. What about Bible study? Oh yeah, we love to get together in groups and we study the Bible. What about fellowship? Oh yes, we love the fellowship. What about, what about worship? Do you guys love worship? Oh, we love worship. And what about if there's a work day at the church? Do you, do, do you come out for that? Oh, we love to come out for that. And Paul says, well, as you excel in all of those things, in the same way, you need to excel in the grace of giving. Apparently what was going on, and I found this interesting there in your Bible, uh, there in the outline, in verse 7 he says, see to it that you excel. Some of your Bibles might say it a little bit different, but most of your Bibles will use the word excel. See that you excel in this grace of giving. Now that word excel in the original language is peri, it's, it's a word in the original language and it's, it's on your outline. So there it is. I'll embarrass myself trying to pronounce it. That's in verse 7. But in verse 2, when we were there, and I said, remember this word, in verse 2 it said, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up, welled up in rich generosity. But I wanted to highlight is that where it says welled up, you notice it's that same word where it says excel. Does everybody see that? So the the idea is, Paul would say this, go ahead and write this down, the Corinthians were into everything in church life but, but giving to God's cause. Paul says it's time to well up with generosity and giving to God's cause, to God's cause. Now it's important to say again that this offering that Paul is talking about is above their normal giving. So this is above what what would normally be given to the the support of the work of the local church. You and I live in a day where it's very common for professing believers to be generous to just about anything and everything but the cause of God, the cause of Christ. So somebody says, you know what? Animals, they they need to be spayed, need to be sheltered, we gotta do something. Christians are absolutely, they'll write the check. And when somebody says, hey, you know, it's time to commit to the cause of God, all of a sudden, now we, we don't do that. It could be that maybe what's happened is we bought into a mindset where we haven't given ourselves to God, uh, we're not living for Him, but we've embraced the mindset that it's really about Him coming alongside of me to help me accomplish my dreams, my goals, my desires, my aspirations, but not living for Him. Does that make sense? So that was verse 7. And I want to say one thing about verse 7. The very last line there, he says, see that you abound in this gracious work also, or this work of grace, or grace of giving, however your Bible says it. That, by the way, is a command. That is a command. See to it. See that you do that. Now that's important because Paul says, see that you do. And then then Paul says, but now I want to show you something. I want to give you two examples of people are are those who did not need any command at all. They just knew it was the right thing and they did that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 8 and he says, I'm not speaking this as a command. Well you just did in the last line of verse 7. So what what are you talking about? We'll talk about that. I'm not speaking this as a command but as proving, some of your Bibles say test, through the, and here's what I want you to underline, the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. Through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. When Paul says, I want, you to, I want to prove 
through this through the through the earnestness of others. The earnestness of others that he's talking about here. I'm going to evaluate what's going on with you with the earnestness of others. The earnestness of others is referring to the Macedonians that we've been talking about. Those are the others. So here's what we notice about the Macedonians. Go ahead and write this down. The Macedonians didn't need a command to give to God's cause. They didn't need a command. It was God's grace working in them. They're giving to God's cause in extreme poverty was just simply revealing where they truly were spiritually. Now the, the NIV translation will say it a little bit differently. It'll say, now I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Um, I'm not commanding you. When he says I'm not commanding you, that's translated, some would say by not way of a command. He's just given the command in verse 7. So is he contradicting himself? Bible scholars will say, no, that what he's saying here is simply that unlike the disciples, when Paul became a believer, he was not one of the original disciples. Paul goes and spends three years alone with the Lord. And in all of that time that he spends with the Lord, God speaks to him about the gospel. And in that time, Jesus said, uh, he never said, you shall thus command the people to give generously to the offering. Paul says, I don't have a command from the Lord in that, but here's what I do have. I have two very glaring examples. Uh, some people don't hold it that way, but either way we wind up at the same place. Let me read that verse again there in your outline. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul says, so when I, when I, I look at them... They didn't need a command that was God's grace, but I notice you profess you're into everything in church life but this. So when I compare the two, it leaves me questioning. So the Macedonians were were, uh, the test, you might say. So go ahead and write this down. The Corinthians' lack of giving just simply revealed their their true spiritual condition. Just revealed their true spiritual condition. The Macedonians are the example here. So the Corinthians apparently never got around to giving themselves to the Lord. Not giving themselves for the Lord. For them, it was all about God coming alongside giving himself to them and then helping them accomplish their dreams, their desires, their goals, but they never gave themselves to the Lord. And so Paul says, so as I look at the example of the Macedonians, I can't help but wonder, but what's going on with you spiritually? So Paul says, that's the first example. That's the Macedonians. I have another example, he'd say, on the other hand, that's verse 9. Verse 9, he says, let me give you another example. For you know the grace, underline the grace, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. A couple of things. First of all, did you notice it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? In this chapter, every time the word grace is mentioned, it's talking about giving every single time. So in essence, when he says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we could say, you can go ahead and write this in, um, you could say, you know the grace or the giving of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about, his giving. And it says he became poor for us so that we might become rich. So what does it mean for him to become poor? Well, Jesus is the the creator, the ruler, the commander, the king of kings, you know, of, of all the universe, heaven, and everything, myriads and myriads of angels. 
and he sees our need and he leaves all of that and he comes to the earth as a man. You'd say that's a step down, wouldn't you? And so we'd say that's becoming poor, but did it end there? Well, no, he lives as a man. And then on that day, he's publicly humiliated, beaten, and he dies an excruciating, uh, painful death on our behalf. That's to be made really poor, but because he does that, we are now made rich. We have eternity. That's the idea. So far, so good? So um, here's what we know about Jesus. Now, you have to understand this follows, chap- this follows verse 8. You have verse 8, verse 9. The Macedonians needed no command. We saw that. So the question is, did Jesus need a command? So here's what we can write down. Go ahead. Jesus didn't need a command to give to our cause. He he just simply saw our need and said, I want to meet that need. You have a need. I I, want to meet that. And so Paul says, Jesus is the example. He's the example. Now, let's take it a step further. If you're a Christian here today, one of the things that we drive home, you never want to miss that, uh, you never want to miss this, but all Christians believe that Jesus is, God, we'd say God, God the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The dividing line between everything that's Christian and everything that is not Christian, all Christians believe Jesus is God. Everybody else believes Jesus is not God. So here we have God, and uh, so Jesus is God, and Jesus say, I and my Father are one. You, you have a hard time separating them. And uh, that's a conversation for another day. But um, if he came and he saw our need, uh, let's go ahead and write this down. I'll, I'll give part of the verse and then you, you finish the next word. You won't get it wrong, I promise. Here it is. There in your outline. For God so loved the world that he... Go ahead and write that down. He gave. Okay. So he gave for our cause. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. For those of us who are believers, did he, in giving for our cause, did he give the rock bottom bare minimum for our cause, cause, or would you say, no, he gave sacrificially? Sacrificially? Okay, you, you sound kind of weak there. Okay, all right, sacrificially. You're not going to get it wrong. I'm leading you somewhere, so you won't get it wrong. Okay, so he gave sacrificially. We all agree on that. Next question. Uh, as the example that Paul's giving, would you say that Jesus, as he saw our need, he gave grudgingly? Like, I can't believe you guys. I have to go down there and do this. for. It. Was that his heart? Okay, well, that's good because we have a verse. I want you to notice this verse on your outline. He says, who for the, what's that word? Set before him, he endured the cross. So here's what we know. Jesus, when he saw our need, he didn't need a command. He just simply, as the example, he simply responded. He gave sacrificially and he did it with great joy. So, and and that his giving sacrificially on our behalf is just simply the revelation of who he really is who he really is, as the example. So let's take a little bit further. He gave sacrificially. He gave with joy. Um, did it end there? Well, we know that he gave the Holy Spirit to us. That's a good thing. And uh, when he says that he gave the Holy Spirit to us, that's, that's unique in the sense that you and I as New Testament believers, we have an existence with God that's unknown in the Old Te- to, the Old, uh, to the Old Testament believers. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. So he gave not just salvation, but he gave the Holy Spirit. So the question is, did he say, that's enough? I think I've done enough. Or did he give more? Take a guess. Some of you are kind of suspicious there. You will never get it wrong here. All right, notice this verse. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, now underline this last part, and he gave gifts to men. 
Now, most of us would hold that that's referring to our spiritual gifts, and that's good. Your spiritual gift is how you will find meaning and fulfillment in your life. You find your gift, you use that. That's the way that God designed you. He's given you a gift, you use that, and uh, your life is going to have meaning and purpose. So he, he went above and beyond that. He says, all right, so gave spiritual gifts, sacrificially with joy, Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. Did he, then, did he then turn around and say, all right, now look, I've done what I can do. Enough is enough. Or would you say, no, maybe there's more? You're catching on. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Romans 8, here's what it says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, Jesus is on board with this, graciously give us, what's it say? So here's what Jesus says. I saw your need. I didn't need a command. I gave sacrificially, joyfully to you. I went above that. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you gifts of the Spirit. And you know what? Whatever else you need, I want to do that too, and I'll do it graciously. Jesus is the example that Paul uses. See, it was a few weeks ago as we traveled through this book, as Paul's dealing with all of these things. By the way, did that make sense so far? So as the example, a few weeks ago we were traveling through, and and I highlighted a verse and uh, Paul was talking about what true ministry looks like, what, you know, what, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, and we highlighted that. And it was back in chapter 3. And one of the things that it said, and I put it there in your outline, let's, let's look at it real quick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, and we all reflect the Lord's glory. Now you want to underline this, are being transformed into His likeness. Make sure you underline that with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so when we were there, one of the things that we said is that the work of the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to help people to be transformed into His likeness. That is to make us like Jesus. The discipleship means that we are becoming like Jesus. Does that make sense? And it says, our being transformed, it's a process. We're all in process but we're becoming like Jesus. Now, if we're becoming like Jesus, and Paul uses Jesus as the example, sacrificially, with joy, more and more and more and more, if that's the case, then here's what I can tell you with absolute certainty, and I want you to write this down. I can't be transformed into his likeness without joyfully giving to his cause. I can't be transformed into his likeness without joyfully giving to his cause. Because in everything that he did, he was giving to us, giving to us, giving to us without a command, without a command, over the top. Now here's what I can do. I can get more information, but information is not transformation. That doesn't really change me. And so God is more concerned about our transformation than our information. Part of the ministry is teaching people to be like Jesus. As your pastor, for those of you who are believers, if you're not a believer here today, don't worry about it, it doesn't pertain to you. But if you're a believer here today and you're not participating in giving to the cause of Christ, you're not being transformed into his likeness. And I would be failing you as your pastor to allow you, or at least not to if I didn't mention the fact that, that in some sense, I would be allowing you as a professing believer to continue to live like an unbeliever 
in this regard because the truth of the matter is an unbeliever will never give to the cause of Christ, at least not sacrificially, and we wouldn't expect them to. But if you're a believer, you don't want to live your life like any unbeliever would live as far as it relates to the gospel or the purpose of God. Does that make sense? Okay. And I know you're going, please move on. All right, verse 10. So Paul says, so I I give you my opinion. I give my opinion in this matter. He says, and here's why I'm giving you my opinion. Underline this. For this is to your advantage. This is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago and not only do this, but but to also desire to do it. Uh, A year ago, um, they, they had purposed to do this. And Paul says, so I'm giving you my opinion, and it's good for me to do that because you need to begin to do what you purposed to do a year ago. When Paul says, I'm giving you my, my opinion, he's not saying, I'm giving you my opinion. No, if you want to do this, you don't want to do this. He's already given a command that you need to do this. So when he says, I'm giving you my opinion, he's saying, my opinion is this. A year ago, you purposed to do this, but, but you never did anything with it. And the idea is that because you never did anything with it, I believe that a year ago that was really the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and now you need to do that. It's good for me to tell you that. Now, some people would say, well, you know, Paul's, what he says, he's giving his, his opinion, which means that, you know, it's sort of we can take it or we can leave it. Um, I would be careful with that because I, I don't hold that that's what he's saying there, but his opinion is that it, what I'm telling you is for your, for your advantage, uh, not whether you should give or not. But if somebody holds that Paul says, no, this is my opinion, I would only say this. Paul the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the whole, is writing this, and the Holy Spirit made sure that this made it into the Bible so that we could read it today. So I would suggest that if you say, well, it's Paul's, I would suggest to you if it's Paul, the apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and makes it into the Bible, it's probably Jesus' opinion too. Make sense? Okay, good. Verse 12, uh, verse 11. So he says, verse, here's the next command. But now finish doing it also. So that there was uh, the readiness to desire it, but there may also be the completion of it by your ability. The idea is that it's one thing to say, you know, I think that's a good idea. I feel good about that. I, I really hope one day we do that. Paul says, no, now you need to just do it. It's not just the feeling good about it. You need to take the action and you need to begin to give to God's cause. In this case, what Paul's talking about is, is, is that special offering. Verse 12, he says, but for if uh, the readiness is present, it is accept." It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And uh, Paul's saying, you know, give what you have, not what you don't have. Don't go in debt to give to God's cause. But, but, but uh, he also uses the Macedonians as the example. And what do we know from the Macedonians who gave out of their extreme poverty? Go ahead and write this down. Everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. The Macedonians can, so can we. So on... on Giving to God's purpose, Paul puts this right here because he needs to show the Corinthians where they truly are in their relationship with God, what's really going on spiritually. For them, it's not a whole lot, apparently. And Paul's going to take two whole chapters to talk about this. So if what I've said today and talked about really bothers you, just know that there's another chapter and a half coming, and you might want to plan accordingly. So you want to do that. The Macedonians understood that Jesus, through great sacrifice without a command, gave joyfully over and above for our cause. 
they responded, as Paul says, that we no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for him who died for us and rose again. We respond by living for him. The Macedonians understood that. The Corinthians, as we've been traveling through, had embraced a faith that said, no, Jesus comes to come alongside of me to help me accomplish my dreams, my goals, my desires, my aspirations, but it has nothing to do with me living for him or participating in the cause of Christ. And that was manifested in the fact that they were not giving to the cause of Christ. That was the Corinthians. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. And with that, we're going to close and we'll pick it up there next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap this up today, it's interesting where you placed this chapter and how Paul looks at the Corinthians and the Macedonians and he looks at the Corinthians and he looks at Jesus and he realizes that something's up. Something's not happening. And sadly for the Corinthians that had lived quite some time in this false sense of they were right where they needed to be, but at their core, they weren't being transformed into the likeness of Christ. May we not be like that. Transform us. We want you to be first in our lives. So we give ourselves first to you. And we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Keep us till we meet again as we live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.